everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, and I am joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Morning, everybody. Hey, is that a Colt 45's hat? It is. Oh, that is impressive. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. It's one of my favorites. That is amazing. Old school baseball hat. I like it. Very cool. Okay. Well, this is not a baseball podcast, unfortunately. It is a movie podcast, and we have a good show in store for you. We're going to go over box office results. We're going to preview Spider-Man No Way Home. We are going to cover in our series that go back classic Christmas movies. Today, we're focusing on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Die Hard. So you are not going to want to miss that. And of course, our watch list. All right, everyone, let's get us started. Um, Let's go over box office results to kick off the show. We really had one new movie uh, this past week, and that was West Side Story. And unsurprisingly, West Side Story finished at the top of the box office for this week, making $10.6 million in its debut weekend. Uh, number two, Encanto at $10 million. Ghostbusters Afterlife at $7.1 million. That movie has now eclipsed $112 million. Uh, so it's an impressive showing for Ghostbusters. Uh, House of Gucci came in fourth at 4.1, and Eternals at 3.1 million rounds out the top five for a total of 161.3 million for Eternals. So that's uh, that's really made a nice chunk of change over its run as it continues. Uh, Rob, what do you make of box office results? I, I do think it's interesting how our perspective has completely changed on <laughs> what's good at the box office. It has. Because you think about uh, the Avengers movies making a billion dollars mm-hmm. and now Eternals at 161 million is considered good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's wild how much has changed. Um, not surprised at all that West Side Story is the top. You know, I, I think it's been anticipated by a lot of people. And a lot of people probably just intrigued to see what um, what is done with the remake because it's really hard to remake a classic yeah. movie like that. And that is like an absolute classic. So I haven't seen it yet, but I am planning on going to see it. So hopefully in a future episode, I'll be able to talk about my thoughts about it. Yeah, my wife is up for seeing it, which usually means anytime my wife wants to see a movie, we go because it's so rare. Uh, but I'm gonna have a hard time like getting myself psyched up to see West Side Story. I have seen the original, so I can't. I cannot say that I've never seen West Side Story. I have seen the original West Side Story. Um, I think for I think ultimately it was a good it was a good time slot for it because you start getting more attention on the box office around Christmas. Uh, but there really wasn't any competition. I mean, all the other movies have been out for at least three weeks at this point so if anybody wanted to see a new movie west side story was your bet so i think they picked a good time slot uh to release that movie and um i think 10.6 is respectable in the current box office for a movie like west side story um so i think that that probably uh will be viewed as a success for how it debuts um it's gonna get dwarfed this uh this coming week but I think uh, with what its time slot was and when it chose to come out, I think it did well. 
Yeah, I was, I was, it was interesting. I was, I was pleased to see Ghostbusters do as well as it was. And we talked about that last week. Uh, we both enjoyed that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially after kind of the, the disaster that was the last Ghostbusters movie, it wasn't sure um, if there was still a good market for it. But hey, they, they, re, they reworked it, came up with a better movie, and uh, people still are interested. So, yeah, that means for the future. Yes. Yeah. Seeing definitely more of a continuation of the spirit of the original movies. Yeah. Um, which the last, the pre most recent one besides it had not done. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the box office. That's uh, where we stand at the moment. Uh, but we've got some, we got some stuff to talk about for this week. It's time. The new Spider-Man, Spider-Man No Way Home, opens this weekend. Uh, This is going to be a huge movie. Lots and lots of cast, lots and lots of interest, excitement. Um, This is going to kind of wrap up the the home trilogy of Spider-Man. And uh, so it's, you know, in in previews, we've talked about the fact that apparently this is going to be like like the end of an arc uh, for this this iteration uh, of Spider-Man. So let's, let's start with this as Spider-Man debuts. What are you expecting? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. (laughs) There's been so much up in the air that it's hard to know Mm -hmm. what to really expect. It's just like rumors and rumors and rumors. I feel kind of like um, this is how it was when the new star Wars movies came out. Mm. To, there's just like all these rumors about what exactly is going to happen and then some turned out to be true the majority turned out to be not some people are very excited some people are very sad yeah uh, so i i don't really know what to expect i'm very much anticipating seeing tom holland play this role again mm-hmm. uh, perhaps if it's the last time then i'm looking forward to that opportunity to see him do it i think he's been fantastic as this character, but I also know that he probably doesn't want to just be this character the rest of his career. So I think he's moving on. It feels like, um, but the, the trilogy so far, the first two movies of it have been fantastic. And I expect it to be the same for the third movie based on what we've seen in the trailers just seems like it's going to live up to that standard. Mm -hmm. And I don't expect anything less. So I'm looking forward to a good experience when I go check it out. Yeah, it will. It will be. It will be fascinating to see what they do with it. Um, how well integrated is the storyline? Um, is it? Is it? Can you make it compelling enough? Um, I think there's natural stakes to it. Um, I like the fact that from the trailers that it was going to look like the consequence of him being revealed as Spider-Man plays a huge role in this movie, which I, I like that. I like when the consequences of previous movies carry over to the new movies too often. It, it's just, hey, this happened at the end of this. And then, you know, we resolve it within five minutes of the, of the next movie and we go on to a different story. I, I like that there's some carryover consequences and that's going to play a major role in it. Um, I'm curious to see uh, Dr. Strange's role in this. 
Um, obviously, he is the impetus for the multiverse and and for that coming into being. Uh, but how big of a role is he in this movie? Uh, I really like his character, and Benedict Cumberbatch is amazing. So I'm curious to how much he's going to play into it. Uh, so what, what do you make of the the multiverse storyline? Is it intriguing? Is it something that's good? Is it a gimmick? Um, what, what do you make of it? Well, I'm very interested in seeing it. We've seen bits and pieces of it already with uh, the Avengers. And um, I don't remember what the girl's name is. The uh, person that the Hulk goes to and talks about the con- converging timelines and like all that different stuff. Yeah. Um, so we've seen bits and pieces of that. We saw it in um, the Loki show. If you've watched any of that on Disney plus, if you haven't, it's a big, the main facet really of the story mm-hmm. is talking about timelines and their convergence and divergence. Um, I certainly don't think it's a gimmick. I think it's been proven by into the spider verse that it can be really fascinating to think about how there are different versions of a person in different places and parallel timelines. Um, so I'm really interested in seeing what they do with it. I'm very curious if the previous Spider-Man are going to be making yes. an appearance in this movie. Yes. <laughs> that is one of the biggest rumors. Uh-huh. And it's wow. never really been fully confirmed or denied. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, we'll have to find out if this... uh, we see Andrew Garfield and to- Tobey Maguire at some point. I, I was uh, I was talking with someone who really, really loves the Andrew Garfield version. And I'm like, is this a backdoor way to getting Andrew Garfield back in as Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> is this a low-key way of getting him back into the mix as Spider-Man? Not saying and I, I'm The other thing I'm wondering is I think the biggest criticism about Spider-Man 3 with mm. um, Tobey Maguire was that there were too many villains and they didn't really establish a set yeah. like story or stakes around mm. one. And based on the trailers, it seems like all those characters are going to be back in this movie. Yeah. So can it do a better job of balancing that and providing you with a main focus of like angst or focus of an a person who's going against the hero in this one. So we'll see how that happens. I guess that would be my one concern is how do they mesh all this together? Cause obviously we've seen in the trailer, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, mm-hmm. um, the sand guy. I don't remember his name. <laughs> I don't remember his name either. <laughs> um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, we also might see Venom in this movie. Yes. So there's just a whole lot going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing one thing that I heard and I hadn't thought about it this way. I wanted to get your thoughts on it is the idea that they had to go back to the old villains from previous iterations of Spider-Man. And this this was this person's opinion. It doesn't say much for what they've built in the realm of the the home series of Spider-Man that in order to create a compelling movie, they had to go back to villains from previous iterations of Spider-Man. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think there's there's a possible case for that. Um, 
but I think there's also more of an intrigue of loving the idea of the multiverse being the driver of that more so than potentially what wasn't done in the previous iterations of Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that they haven't done a great job of establishing um, like lasting villains, but I thought especially in the last movie um, that Jake Gyllenhaal's character was really well done Mm -hmm. and a really good villain for that movie, but the way it was set up, his character is not going to last more than one movie just because of the arc of the character within the story. Um, I, I, I also think that if you look at the comics, this is kind of an established idea, the multiverse. So it's not like they're yeah. making something up just to fit these old characters in. It's something that's already been written about and done in that format. Yeah. So it's just bringing it to a different audience in some cases yeah and i think i think the one thing you could say for the no the home trilogy is that it was the first spider-man trilogy that was intentionally part of a larger universe and so what you've seen is as the multi as the the mcu has developed they've had to kind of make smaller and smaller scale movies for the individual movies because there has to be a reason why the rest of the characters are not in these movies if there's some like giant world changing thing happening um but with i think one of the strengths of the home trilogy is or the home the first two i guess i'm saying trilogy because there's three of them i haven't seen the third one yet but um is that his character is it's the best version of him being in high school <laughs> so I think when you're in high school dealing with high school, there's a level of high school problems. Like you're not, you're not, there's only so much you're going to expect a high schooler to handle, <laughs> I guess, in terms of the movies. And if you're doing that well, I, so I think there is a, there is a reason for why they are the way they are. And maybe that ultimately led to the fact that by the third movie, they don't have a, a cheap villain that they can go to and have to go to the multiverse. But I don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing as a result. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Any other thoughts on Spider-Man? I'm just ready for it to come out. So let's go. (laughs) Let's do it. Come on. (laughs) Uh, There is one other movie that we got to talk about uh, that's coming out this week. And uh, that's uh, Nightmare Alley. And this is the newest film from Guillermo del Toro, starring Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette. Good old Willem Dafoe is in this one. Good, big, good, big old weekend for Willem Dafoe. Um, Rooney Mara also, Ron Perlman. So big cast, definitely a big cast with this. And it's about an ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words, hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. So this is going to deal kind of with traveling carnivals and it's, it's Guillermo del Toro. So you're going to have that interesting big mix of kind of horror, kind of thriller, kind of like genre bending uh, thriller type. Um, what, what do you make of this, Rob? Is this is this intriguing to you? And how, how big a Guillermo del Toro guy are you? Well, Guillermo del Toro is probably my second or third favorite director. So 
I'm definitely looking forward to this because I really like, I think he has. Do you want to call it that? I missed the last thing you said. It blanked out. No, I think, there. Yeah, I think my, I was getting a call and I think it cut my audio out for a second. <laughs> um, I think he's kind of defined and established the genre of horror fantasy. Yeah. If you want to call it that. Um, he's able to create these worlds that seem like they could exist within the real world. And yet there's just something slightly off mm -hmm. about it. And that makes it fantasy, but because of the ways in which it is off, I guess it can bleed over into a feeling of like a horror aesthetic. So it's not straight up horror by any stretch, in my opinion, but mm -hmm. it has those elements because I think that he does a good job of making things beautifully uncomfortable yeah unsettling is the word i often yeah. use with him yeah yeah so i'm definitely looking forward to it because i love watching his work and excited to see hellboy back working with him so <laughs> <laughs> i i'm kind of hit and miss on guillermo del toro like i get why people like him i get why he's he's a well-acclaimed director um, especially from a visual standpoint, uh, he is, he really, really creates some interesting looks and interesting settings and, and there's something compelling about it. I just don't, I'm not always on board with where he goes with it. Um, so for me, I'm not like, I'm kind of intrigued and I'm kind of not intrigued parts. Plus like, I'm not a big, like, like the whole carnival setting doesn't necessarily appeal to me super heavily. Um, but I, I, I'm not opposed to seeing it. I, I'm kind of intrigued. That's, that's where I land on this. And I'm kind of intrigued about Nightmare Alley. Uh, so if I get around to seeing it, uh, I, I'm not opposed to seeing it. I just don't know if I'm like, I'm going to be in line first thing to see it. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. And if you end up seeing it before I do, I'll, I'll be curious to see what you think about it. Definitely. All right. Well, let's move on to our discussion. Um, so we've been covering classic Christmas movies over the last few weeks. And really what we're doing is breaking down what is it that makes these movies classic? Why do we keep returning to them Christmas after Christmas? Why is it something we look forward to uh, experiencing each holiday? Uh, so we've covered in previous episodes, we've covered Elf and we've covered Home Alone. And since we're getting closer to Christmas, we thought we'd tackle two movies today as part of our discussion. And we'll also get into our favorite moments from each one of them. Uh, so first of all, uh, this was one of Rob's choices for this week, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So Rob, I will let you start on this. What, what do you think makes this a classic movie? Why is it, uh, is it so ingrained in our memory as part of Christmas tradition? Well, I think just uh, Chevy Chase's Clark Griswold is like a Christmas archetype. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as far as a normal person who is just trying to deal with everything around the holidays. And I think that's what makes this movie so great is it's really just about a guy trying to enjoy his Christmas, having his family crash it, having his boss giving him trouble at work, feeling underappreciated, feeling like the world is against him. And feeling like he can't really have joy during this season of Christmas and 
everything he tries to do doesn't really succeed the way he wants. And it's just, I, I love, I love this movie because it just feels real. It's, a, it's, it's like an absurd version of reality, but it's grounded in reality for a lot of us. Yeah. That we go through every Christmas. Yeah. I think we can all relate to that idea of, of really wanting something to be a specific way and then just it not happening. It's like, I really want this to be awesome. I really want this to be amazing. I really want this to be special. And it's just like, nobody else is on board. Nothing's going right. I think we've all been there. We've all seen that at a specific time. Um, and, and it's just, yeah, it's hard not to relate to that on some level. Um, I think, and you know, we talked about this a little bit with Home Alone, like the absurdity, I think is part of the charm. Uh, you know, the, in Home Alone, it's the, the kid, the kid foiling these two ridiculous bandits. And in Christmas Vacation, it's the absurdity of everything, like the Christmas tree, the turkey, the, the lights, the Christmas lights that he strings up, just the ridiculousness of the whole thing. Um, you know, the havoc they wreak on the neighbors. Um, just everything about it. Uh, of course, uh, you of course have uh, what's his name's character, um, cousin uh, Randy Quaid, cousin Eddie. Mm-hmm. And just the absurdity of that family uh, coming in there. But at, and, and like Home Alone, there's an undertone of heart to the whole thing. Like this is a guy who really cares, and you get that the whole way through. This is a guy who cares. Yeah, I love the speech in front of the Christmas tree where. He completely rips into his boss and basically <laughs> says that Christmas is meaningless. And <laughs> after he gets the gift of the Jelly of the Month Club, yes, Christmas bonus. That's the breaking point right there. That is the breaking <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it's there, there's just so. I think partly it's it's like there are memorable moments. There are extremely memorable moments in there. So what, what are some of your favorites? Why, what are your favorite scenes from that movie? So obviously I just mentioned the speech he gives about his boss is probably up there with anyone. One of the things I like about this movie too, is you see it with, I've seen it in the theater, like um, around Christmas time as a re-release with, with people. And like, even to this day, people just die laughing at so many parts of this movie. Yeah. Um, And you mentioned it earlier too, but the Christmas light scene is just fantastic where he spends hours getting this all together and then nothing happens. <laughs> and you just got that feeling of his wife being disappointed slash unsurprised <laughs> that <laughs> I think some of us can relate to. <laughs> yeah. And and like to see to see the kids like all right, dad, I, you know, like him, him trying to get his kids excited about something they're totally not excited about. That is absolutely something that happens to every single family. Like one of your parents is excited about something and you're like, all right, dad, fine, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also really like the appearance of the CD player, ah. the house, which is like uh, not a common thing when this movie came out. So it's like this high tech yeah. quality piece of equipment. And now we look at like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they were such like a ghetto yuppie couple 
and, and like the, yeah the absurdity and that it's like exemplified by the cd player there yeah yeah uh-huh. yep. uh classic appearances from julia louis dreyfus in there uh mm-hmm. and uh and uh kenny johnny gelecki uh of big bang theory fame as is uh, his son in this movie which is huh. uh not something that I realized until very recently. <laughs> I think I just realized it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the cast actually, there were a lot of people who had, uh, who had pretty good success there. Um, the, uh, I think the, for me, it's, it's the, I think it's the scene with the cat where the cat's chewing on the, the Christmas tree. The, mm-hmm. the, the cat gets fried and, yeah uh, yeah that either that or it's the cigar scene where he uh he throws the cigar down the sewer and <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah there's so many ridiculous moments there is there's just so many ridiculous moments yeah my friends just had to take down their tree because they have two cats and the cats attacked it the first night it was up and one of them bit into a light and so they took their tree down <laughs> right away <laughs> Just get rid of the cats. I mean, the Christmas tree is more valuable than the cats. Seriously. They'd rather, they'd rather have no Christmas tree and uh, no vet bill than <laughs> a Christmas tree and a big vet bill for Christmas. <laughs> oh, man. Cats get what they deserve, man. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anything else you want to say about uh, Christmas vacation? Uh, I think we covered it pretty much. All right, so now we'll we'll go to my choice for for this week, and that is of course the Christmas movie of all Christmas movies, Die Hard. <laughs> of course, this is this is partly comical because the long time running joke about whether or not Die Hard is in fact a Christmas movie, um, and has has spawned uh, entrenched camps on both sides of the argument, which I am firmly on the side of. It is a Christmas movie. Yes. Yes, because it takes place at Christmas. The in, in the setting of it is a Christmas party. Uh, so how how can it not be Christmas? There's Christmas music playing in the background. Um, so I'll I'll start for this one. For me, what makes Die Hard a Christmas a Christmas classic is um, first of all the nature the nature of bruce willis versus the villains hans hans gruber uh that interplay between hans and and uh john mcclain is what is what really makes this movie um the villain the villain is is absurd the character of john mcclain is great He's just kind of running around, flipping out about everything. And uh, I love how he talks to himself the entire time. Uh, but what, what makes it classic is just like the little moments, like when he kills one of the first guys and he finds the Santa and he, he puts the Santa hat on the guy, writes ho, ho, ho on his, his shirt in like blood and then sends him down the elevator. Like there's little Christmas moments that you just have to, you have to enjoy as a family. <laughs> yeah. It really brings out the spirit of giving. It does, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's just, there's just, it's, it's great individual characters that make this movie. 
And I think there's enough Christmas in this that makes, it makes me think of Christmas when, when I see it. And, um, of course, uh, like I said, with the, with the actors, Alan Rickman, uh, just passed away not too long ago. Uh, really, really good. John McClane, really, really good. Bruce Willis, uh, Reginald Val Johnson as a kind of the, you know, like, like a co, uh, co-helper there and just the the complete absurdity like like how much the fbi is just treated with utter contempt in this movie and uh there's just there's just great individual moments but great characters what what are your thoughts i mean who doesn't like imagining john mcclain crawling through their air vents on christmas to bring them their presence That's their present being like dead german terrorists <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> Uh but yeah they do uh it's the one thing i like about this movie is that they do a really good job of making one building feel like an entire world like just the setting is used really well Mm -hmm. um nakatomi plaza is uh used to full effect to give you an idea of there's like a tightness but there's also space where you can get around and do what he needs to do. But there's that feeling that just around any corner, there could be another bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I think they do a really good job of building that setting and making it feel visceral and real. Yeah. And I think along with that, um, how the setting actually becomes part of the obstacles at times, you know, like they use the fact that that's something there's no power in certain parts of the building that, you know, he's dealing with, he's dealing with the air vents or he's dealing with this, like they become part of the obstacle of the building or, or like the classic part where, you know, he takes off his shoes at the beginning of the movie and then spends the rest of the movie barefoot. And he's having to walk around on glass and doing all all that sort of stuff. And he's bleeding from his feet and, and all that. So yeah, they really, the setting becomes at times part of the obstacle that he's facing. Yeah, I also really like just like you said how, how the um, law enforcement force is kind of like you stay outside <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of stuck watching what's going on and hoping that there's some kind of resolution, but not really getting involved so much themselves. Mm-hmm. Now it's just they really create the atmosphere of him against the world. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know he's trying to battle the 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 law enforcement, the FBI, the terrorists, the building, everything. And and just how he's, he, you know, in some cases where it's one guy versus a whole bunch of bad guys, you get the sense of like the, the, uh, the hero is almost this invincible character. You never get the sense that John McClane views himself as invincible. He's always kind of like, oh, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. How is this? You know, like he's just trying to fly by the seat of his pants and just trying to do whatever he can. So you get the sense that he's a much more relatable character in that way. Like he recognizes the absurdity of the situation. Yeah. Die Hard. It's a great movie. It is a great movie. Anything else about Die Hard? Uh, not other than I need to see it again soon. It's been a little while. Yeah, I, I got I got a chance to uh, watch it uh, a couple days ago. It was great. 
my my wife is not obviously a uh, a big action movie genre person and so we finished decorating the tree i'd watched uh we uh, watched elf while we were decorating the tree and so she's just kind of sitting around so i just casually turned on die hard <laughs> and so it's like she didn't leave right away so hey it was good how did that get on the screen oh no i, I don't know i mean how it just happened <laughs> <laughs> all right well, that's a great transition uh, to our watch list. And we'll we'll uh, we'll come back and do do some more Christmas movie classics next week. Uh, so, watch list movies that we've watched over the past week, and we'll give you a brief synopsis and tell you what we like about them and what we don't like about them. Uh, so, Rob, Rob, what did you watch this week? So it's interesting that you said you watched Elf because I watched Elf. <laughs> nice. I actually went to the drive-in in Northumberland, Pennsylvania, <laughs> the Point Drive-in. And they were having a one night only thing that they've been, they close after the summer ends, but they had one night um, only. They did Elf and the Polar Express. Uh-huh. And the other screen was uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. So I was watching Polar Express and Elf. We only got to the last 15 minutes or so of Polar Express because of it being winter. The movie started at six and I worked until 4.30. So. We had to drive an hour and a half to get there, so we didn't get there until the end. Um, but we did get to see all of Elf, and I love that movie mm-hmm. so much. It's just ridiculous. Like, Will Ferrell is so ridiculous in that movie. Yes. And <laughs> it makes me bust up laughing every time I watch it. Like, I know pretty much all the funny parts, and I still laugh every time they happen because it's just a funny movie. And his character is so earnest and committed. Like he's so committed to this character, yeah. That um, a grown man should not be able to be that committed to that character in the way <laughs> that he is. No. But it just makes the movie so good, and makes it like I, I think it's one of the movies I could just watch over and over and over again. Like I'm never going to get bored of Elf. Um, and I also watched. Uh, uh, I don't know if you want to call these movies or not, but I watched some of the Christmas specials that were on. Okay, I think they're like in the middle between tv show slash movie <laughs> we talk about rudolph and frosty mm-hmm. uh the snowman and the peanuts christmas special those roll on this week um as we get closer to christmas time so i watch those and frosty returns which is a nightmare <laughs> 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 they really shouldn't have made it none of the frosty the snowman movie <laughs> and what's interesting about it is it's in like the peanut style but it's not charles schultz and it's really disconcerting <laughs> to see like characters in that way that are not his characters. Yeah. Um, but the original is so is much better. We watched that and we watched Rudolph, uh, the red nosed reindeer. And I enjoy those movies a lot. So yeah, it's always fun. Uh, I only watch them around this time of year. So I, I like checking them out when they're, when they're on. Nice. Yeah. So we've talked about El- I watched Elf and Die Hard, which uh, we have talked about um, at this point. Uh, but I also got to watch a couple of non-Christmas movies. I saw the other day that Star Trek, it was like the anniversary of Star Trek six coming out. And so I'm like, yeah, no, I got I got to watch that one again. Star Trek six is a very, very good movie. I, I love the storyline of the uh, assassination of the Klingon uh chancellor and the arrest of mccoy and and uh spot or uh, mccoy and kirk 
and and just I thought it had one of the strongest storylines of any of the original movies. Um, it's not as highly acclaimed as, say, The Wrath of Khan or The Voyage Home, but I thought it was a really, really well done movie. And um, it was a great way to end that particular uh, run of movies for that cast. Uh, Star Trek Six. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's really well well done. Christopher Plummer does a great job playing the uh, the rogue Klingon commander in that one. Um, I also watched iRobot. Um, I was I wanted to use one of their quotes in 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 something, and and so I was like, oh, I'll go back and watch the movie. And I there's there's I think it's it's one of it's they did a great job on this movie of they talk about in the movie about breadcrumbs on a regular basis. And this movie does a great job of layering the breadcrumbs and letting the story and the mystery unfold one clue at a time uh, in a really, really unique and original way. I think also it has one of my favorite scenes that sets up the mystery of the movie. And that is right near the beginning of the movie when Will Smith walks into the plaza and he starts interacting with what you don't necessarily realize at the very first moment is the hologram of Dr. Lanning. And he starts Mm -hmm. interacting and talking with it and you're getting responses. And then it's only later do they show that Lanning's dead body is there. And this is actually a hologram uh, partway through the scene, Uh, but it sets up, but he's, but he uses this fantastic line where he says, you know, what follows is all a result of what you see here. And you're like, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? This is this is intriguing. And then he asks a question, why would you kill yourself to this hologram? He's like, that is the right question. Um, and and so and then it shuts down. And it's, it's just such like it, it gets you into the mystery of the movie and doesn't actually give you any information. It's just such it's such a way to just engage engage the audience right from the beginning of the movie it's really really well done yeah i like that one too yeah yeah it's an underrated movie all right you got anything else rob i don't let's go watch spider-man all right uh also you may uh in the next couple weeks they're going to do a an interview with a a friend of the podcast who will be talking about a special superman project he's been working on so look forward to that uh check out filmforfans.com where we will uh have lots of articles and other things of intrigue that you can look at and uh tell your friends about the podcast like and subscribe until next time enjoy the movies